The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. How you doing? Happy Tuesday. I am Leslie Marshall. This is the only true democracy in talk. And today we have a great show having rejoining us, Scott Paul. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And the AAM is a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for over a decade, Scott and the AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters and our national leaders, and they've done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. And we know it's working from things that we hear. Scott, welcome. Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. And uh, glad you could join us while we're all sheltering in place. Hey, Leslie, it's good to be with you. And I hope that uh, you and you yours are uh, safe and healthy. We are. And I wish the same to you as well and to um, everyone who was uh, listening to us as well. Um, You know what? We have for decades offshored work. U.S. companies have shifted production overseas, especially to China. Now, what did we get in return? We've talked about for those T-shirts, three for 10 bucks that fall apart in one wash. We got cheaper products. But a lot of people are wondering, with that shift in production overseas, why is it that now we can't seem to make or get vital health care supplies from China. Yeah, it's a uh, it's not only frustrating and infuriating, um, but, but it's also a real problem as, as we're responding to this. Um, and obviously, your listeners have heard about the desperate need that hospitals have for ventilators. You know, governors have been requesting them all over the nation, and there's simply not enough to go around um, right now. And uh, one of the reasons is that we just don't make a lot of them here in the United States. Uh, I'm sure your listeners have also heard about the need for the N95 respirators that healthcare professionals need to be safe when they're treating patients with, uh, uh, with, with viruses like uh, COVID-19 and others. And uh, we have, at the beginning of March, we had about 35 million of these uh, respirators available. Uh, in, in this pandemic, we're going to need 3.5 billion in the United States alone because these are disposable. They use them once and, and they, you know, they're not going to work anymore. And we have a very limited capacity to make those uh, in the United States. There's a few factories that do, but there's not nearly enough capacity. And all of this has gone overseas for two reasons, basically. One is uh, corporate greed and the way that this market works. And when you have a commodity like these, uh, like these respirators, like the N95s, because you need millions and millions of them, uh, much of that work goes to China. China makes 80% of all of these masks in the world. 
And obviously it was shut down for a while uh, itself. Uh, it hoarded masks for its own market. Um, and uh, now it's making more, but it, uh, it created shortages uh, worldwide, including in the United States. Um, so, so, so you have that. And then you have the fact that, you know, e- even hospitals that are buying equipment like this uh, buy from middlemen. And these middlemen, Leslie, are a lot like uh, Amazon or Walmart. And they basically try to get the cheapest bids possible, which means you have to make the stuff in China. Uh, and then they sell them at a markup to these hospitals. So there's only a couple of suppliers. There's like four or five of these middlemen uh, in the United States. And so this has created a, I mean, it's a boondoggle to begin with, but now it's created a serious risk to human life. And uh, both the fact that we have trade and tax policies that have pushed a lot of these jobs overseas uh, and, and corporate greed. And then you have the system designed to commodify and to cheapen healthcare supplies when, I don't know about you, I want quality and reliability. And, I, and, uh, and this, is, this has conspired now uh, into this real problem. And unfortunately, the Trump administration has always been weeks and weeks and weeks behind the response to this. So it's only compounded it. Uh, there's so much to talk about and so much information. You had talked about um, suppliers, and there aren't many in the United States. There are some other issues, too, which are, is cost and timeline, uh, time frame to, to make these uh, these uh, vital supplies. Uh, Gus Nasrallah, who's president and CEO of manufacturing equipment supplier Sharper Tech in Pontiac, Michigan, uh, they say that you can they can sell a machine that cranks out the N95 face masks. Uh, those are the masks desperately needed by healthcare workers treating COVID-19 patients. But it'll cost a quarter of a million dollars or more, and they're saying it'll take six months to get those delivered. Can you can you speak to that, uh, which is also uh, a factor that weighs into this, the cost and the time? Yeah. So so I mean, this is this is there's only so much capacity, and I mean, wh- wh- I will say, I guess if there's a silver lining in all of this, it's that there are a lot of companies that have set aside their you know, their, their daily lives, uh, you know, they, they've risked their businesses and they said, you know what, we're not selling t-shirts. We're not selling textiles. We're not selling this or that right now. Cause no one's buying anything except for household needs. Right. Um, and, and we're going to try to make some masks and you see companies like, um, new balance and under armor and american giant and haynes and and some others that 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 still make some products in the united states band together to try to do this and you know there's there's a real chance that they'll be able to churn out hundreds of thousands of these and it's not without cost and it is without unfortunately a lot of coordination at the top and hopefully that's going to change uh but but I, I think you heard what I said at the outset, which is we need 3.5 billion with a B masks. And so, you know, even these hundreds of thousands are great, but man, we got to, we got to crank it up and it shouldn't take something like this or these, uh, these companies volunteering together and these workers kind of, you know, sometimes it, it, it great health or safety risk to come in and, and make these to try to uh, compensate for uh, these flawed policies and this shortage. But that's kind of what's happening right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's exceptionally difficult. And, 
you know, it's one thing just to make a mask. You know, it's another thing to make uh, an N95 mask uh, or a respirator, uh, which is really the only effective way for our healthcare professionals not to get infected when they're when they're treating these patients. And so it is a I mean, look, American manufacturers are stepping up. The workers, again, are, are working at great risk uh, to try to churn this out. But this was a complete an utter failure uh, on on the part of of government uh, to, uh, to to be prepared uh, for a pandemic like this. Absolutely, we're going to continue with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about these decades of offshoring has actually led and how it's led to a mask shortage in a COVID nineteen pandemic. And we're going to talk more about the uh, shortages. Uh, the supplies that are needed, and the American manufacturers and what they are trying to do and what they need to be able to do what we need them to do. We'll be back with him. We'll be back with you right after this. Keep in mind, uh, AmericanManufacturing.org is the website. On Twitter, follow Scott at ScottPaulAAM. Also follow the AAM at KeepItMadeInUSA. On Instagram, at American Manufacturing. And on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash American Manufacturing. I'm Leslie Marshall. Quick break. Back to Scott. Back to you right after this. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. We're talking about China. We're talking about decades of offshoring and how this led to a mask shortage in this pandemic and not just a mask shortage. One of the things I learned, Scott, in uh, economics uh, 101 was supply and demand. And we're hearing from people like Keith Hayward, managing director of specialty fabric maker uh, in uh, Mount uh, Pocono, Pennsylvania, that he's deluged with phone calls. A lot of manufacturers are saying that the demand, the demand right now, uh, whether it be for masks, for gloves, for gowns, for ventilators, the demand is unprecedented. Can you speak to that? Because some people are concerned. What happens in the fall or winter if this virus comes back again, as Dr. Fauci and others are saying it might? Yeah, yeah, it, it, Leslie, it, it, it's a real concern. And again, building on the fact that we don't have enough supply of any of this right now. Uh, the, the ventilators, the uh, N95 respirators, uh, the gowns, uh, the other types of th- the pr- uh, PPEs that our health professionals need. Um, you, you know, there are both the folks that are in business to make those. And as, as I pointed out in our opening segment, there aren't enough of those in the United States, but, the, but there are some. And so they're obviously ramping up uh, in doing what they can. Like there's a 3M factory uh, that makes these N95 respirators. In fact, there's two of them. Uh, there's one in Nebraska and one in one in South Dakota that have high capacities, and they're obviously ramping up as well. Um, there have been other uh, manufacturers that have repurposed their facilities to kind of fill in the gaps. For instance, Anheuser Busch, you know, great at making Budweiser, but they are making hand sanitizer now. Uh, a lot of other distilleries are as well. True Value. Uh, is just converting a uh, a plant that makes paint for it in Illinois uh, into a plant that can make hand sanitizer. And uh, obviously, you know, Ford, uh, General Motors, uh, with, with partners, 
are prepared to make ventilators uh, as well. Uh, although th- these aren't these aren't particularly easy things uh, to, to make, um, and and so American industry is responding uh, to this, and, and I sure do hope that uh, given the the duration of this, given the fact that there very well could be a second wave, uh, is that we are in a better better position and very well prepared. Uh, for whatever comes next, uh, because we sure aren't now. And even though there's supposed to be a stockpile, um, a, a, a strategic stockpile of these goods, like the masks uh, and, and like the ventilators, uh, what we found is those stockpiles are woefully depleted. Uh, and in some cases, the equipment's not working. Um, and so again, this is just negligence. I mean, you know, the public health, and I know, look, I'm a manufacturing policy person, but I think that, you know, everybody can attest to the fact that public health policies work best when no one notices them, when, when no one is, is either getting sick or, you know, where we have fewer deaths due to smoking or uh, wearing seatbelts or what have you. Uh, and, and we oftentimes take it for granted, and so we're reluctant to fund it. But it's, it's the times like these uh, that it's essential and it's always woefully underfunded. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, recriminations are one thing, but hopefully we will have learned our lesson and understand that we have to take these needs seriously and that we have to possess this manufacturing capability. And, and Leslie, when we get past all of this, I think one of the conversations that we need to have from an economic policy point of view is just the stupidity of allowing so much of this critical production to go offshore. It's just ridiculous. And so there, it is obvious to me that, that American manufacturers can make this stuff. But you know, if we have bad trade policies, if we have bad tax policies, if there's other incentives that ship jobs overseas and we let other countries get away with it, uh, th- then we're going to end up in the, in the same situation down the road. And, and I don't think we can afford to let that happen. And so we're going to be obviously down the road suggesting that our lawmakers need to find ways to bring this work back to the United States uh, once and for all, and not just in a crisis. Absolutely. I also want to talk about things that we knew, uh, and I'm not trying to get political with this, but Apple warned investors that its revenues would take a hit because iPhone production was hampered by factory shutdowns in China back in February when the coronavirus felt like it was a faraway problem to most of us here in the United States. Uh, That same month, uh, Fiat Chrysler halted some production in Europe because the Chinese parts weren't available. The U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration began to investigate how a squeeze on Chinese exports of pharmaceutical feedstock might cause drug shortages. Um, sh- you know, did we miss the mark? Were we, were we slow to the game? Should we have been doing something then so we weren't having the, we wouldn't be having this conversation now? Oh, absolutely. There were a lot of signals, some of which were publicly available, other others were in classified information, but all of it was available that this was going to be a problem. And uh, no one heeded the warnings. And what happened, you know, particularly for, I mean, you talked about the other supply chains and some of the things in the broader economy that we saw happening. And that, that obviously has repercussions, uh, although a lot of that has just been completely washed away by just the shutdowns of of things and social distancing, because our our economy is a mess, which is a whole nother subject here, but it has to be uh, for for us to get through this. Um, But I think one of the challenges is that China uh, first withheld a lot of information 
and then hoarded a lot of the the PPE equipment. Like they wouldn't, 3M makes a lot of face masks in China, a lot of the N95 respirators. 3M was not allowed to export any of those starting in January. And so there was, there was no opportunity and that created shortages uh, around the world. And so this was a, I'll just say, I'll just call it a cluster. I'll leave out the last, <laughs> the last syllable in that, but it was just a, it was a cluster from top to bottom. <laughs> it, it just was. And, and the signals were there and, and just wishing that we would have a better outcome uh, was the absolute worst approach that anybody, anybody could have taken to this. Okay. Um, let me see what we got on time here. You know what? We're uh, coming up against a break, so let's uh, hold it there. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue to talk with Scott. Scott is, as I said, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Uh, there. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I can fit in a, another quick question before we take a break. Um, Scott, uh, let, let's talk about – I just want to talk one more time – um, about the uh, dangerous shortages of protective equipment, because like you said, in the United States, we only have a couple of companies that can provide it, and they don't have the people, the supplies, or the money to push it out. Uh, if you could, in, in about a minute before we go to break. Yeah, I mean, it is just a, um, I mean, we've seen a remarkable remarkable response, again, by American workers, uh, by American companies uh, to try to change the equation here as rapidly as we can. And I've talked to many of these factory owners uh, in person. We even have a case where workers at General Electric walked off the job because GE wasn't going to switch their production over to making medical devices. And so, look, I'm confident that Americans are going to step up and that we're going to do what we need to do. Uh, but but it would be nice for a change to have the government uh, Absolute, have our back. A- abso- and, and absolutely. Absolutely. Good job, Scott. You did a post. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Scott Paul from the AAM and me, Leslie Marshall, right after this. We are back. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, is our guest. Scott, thank you for holding and uh, welcome back. Um, I want to talk about some of the things going on in China. Many of us are uh, very aware of it if we go online and we're looking for certain things. We know there are people out there making fake honey, Honeywell and 95 respirators at a makeshift factory on a farm in China. We know that there are pharmacies selling ineffective knockoffs of a Chinese version of Clorox. In one Chinese province, authorities seized more than 7 million masks. They were substandard, they were mislabored, they were counterfeited. So China's trying to push and churn out this gear to help with uh, coronavirus and COVID-19. Yet they seem to have a very difficult time policing this. Scott? Yeah, yeah yes, they do, Leslie. And, and so... So, so people know, I mean, we, we get a lot, obviously we get a lot of products from China. Um, it might surprise people to know that included in that, again, are 80% of all these respirators uh, that, that, that are made. They, they come from China. Um, 80% of the active ingredients of many of our pharmaceuticals um, and a lot of these other products as well. Uh, it, it is the world's factory in many ways. And Normally, there are a handful of personnel from the Food and Drug Administration of the United States who are in China 
uh, trying to police some of this. It's crazy because there's no way they can police all of it. I mean, just the volume and the scale is pretty overwhelming. But six weeks ago, Leslie, the, the FDA inspectors who were in China were told to, were pulled out. I mean, our government pulled them out because they thought it was unsafe for, for health reasons because of the, uh, the, the coronavirus. And so there are no FDA inspectors in China right now. And we're resorting to kind of spot checks uh, when the products arrive in the United States. But by no means do we have any guarantees that any of this works as it, said it says it does or is safe uh, or isn't mislabeled. And so we have seen a lot of very, very disturbing instances uh, where uh, other countries have ordered, um, and I'm thinking of the Netherlands and some other European countries here as well, have, have ordered N95 respirators or other kinds of equipment from China, uh, trying desperately to get it. And they've had to send it back because it wasn't functional. And, and the challenge is that you know, people are rightly concerned and desperate, and the healthcare systems are rightly concerned as well. And so if you see it, you're going to buy it. If you see it, you're going to buy it. And so, uh, so if, if you are operating an environment where you can do this kind of uh, predatory behavior on consumers, uh, you're really going to be able to run free now. Um, and, and that's one of the challenges that we have is that there's no way the Chinese government can police everything that's happening there. Um, uh, and, you know, there's no way that our Food and Drug Administration can do the same thing. So it's creating the situation where uh, it, it is just ripe for abuse. Uh, and that we could get counterfeits or faulty stuff uh, or, or stuff that is even worse than that, that, that may in fact be toxic. And I, again, we just need to step up and we need to ensure that stuff is thoroughly inspected. Uh, but after we get past the, the front end of this crisis, we need to bring this work back to the United States uh, because we know we can police it here. We know it will be made with quality uh, and that it certainly will be inspected. Uh, and so that's just got to happen. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask, how do we do that? I mean, how do we do that when we are just overwhelmed and weren't prepared for this, for this pandemic, for the number of people and cases and and how, you know, like April 12th is going to be supposedly the uh, apex of uh, uh, New York, April 25th in Los Angeles. You have another date in March for uh, New Orleans, another date in June for uh, Virginia. How, when we desperately need this equipment, uh, do we police it? I mean, in Spain, they said they had testing kits they bought from a company in China, only 30% accuracy rate uh, rather yeah. than 80%, which is what we expect with these testing kits. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. Again, this is just a, it is not a production system uh, that is built for quality. Now, I don't want to say, I mean, there are some Chinese manufacturers that can make very high-tech, sophisticated equipment. There is no doubt about that. But there, for, for a lot of these products, uh, when people are looking to get things out in a hurry, uh, it is ripe for abuse. And unfortunately, you have um, both through direct purchases and also through platforms like Alibaba and Amazon, there's just not enough policing that goes along. And so it creates a very, very unsafe uh, environment 
for, for consumers uh, or for public health agencies uh, th- that are depending on the integrity of the product. Um, and, you know, we again, I, I, you know, we can, we can have recriminations and there should be some, uh, but we do desperately, I think, need to figure out how we uh, how we manage this moving forward, both to have rigorous inspections, but also to depend a lot less on a production system like this. Uh, that, that, that can churn out large numbers of cheap things, uh, but when your life depends on it, um, uh, may, not, may not be able to deliver uh, what, what is needed. And uh, it, it's, a, it's, unfo- it's an unfortunate byproduct of this whole crisis. Uh, and again, as I said before, I guess the silver lining in all of this is that we know American manufacturers, we know American workers will step up and do the right thing and, and try as hard as they can to fill these gaps. But there has to be change after this. There has to be systemic change that brings a lot of this production back to the United States. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that actually is an excellent segue into my next question. If we've learned nothing else from this, um, we need to learn that we can't be so dependent on China, not just cars and electronics, but perhaps more importantly, um, the medical supply business that China's become so essential to us with regard to um, because their their goods are cheap, their goods are shoddy. Um, you know, this could lead to literally someone's death here in the United States. This is an example where the president needs to keep his promise, which was he was going to bring manufacturing back to America. I mean, it's obviously improved, but we are not seeing those companies come back. Do you think that maybe a silver lining or turning lemons into lemonade with COVID-19, Scott, could be that some of these corporations say it's just not worth it after what they've been through? Because my husband, who's a physician, says, he asked me, Two weeks ago, do you know anybody who has COVID-19? I said, no. He said, in a few weeks, you and, and the rest of us won't be able to answer that in that manner anymore. So do you think these corporations will say, you know, not worth it next time around because they've lost their mother, their grandmother, their son, their daughter, uh, one of their favorite employees, their neighbor, our friend? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that I, and I have a look, I'm from a rural uh, area in Indiana that voted 70% for Donald Trump. And they were listening to all the Fox News stuff in February about how this was, uh, you know, how, how this, this whole thing was a sham, right? And was being overplayed. And I saw that play, play out in my social media where people were like, well, I don't know anybody. This isn't going to happen. And, and just, you know, they, they were kind of in disbelief. And so I think we're past that stage now because there are cases, unfortunately, all over the country. And I know I, you know, I know people who have been personally touched by this uh, as well. And at the end of this, it's almost guaranteed that every American will. Um, and unfortunately, that realization comes too late. Uh, but I do, I do know this: when uh, you know, there have been some public opinion pollsters who have been trying to get a sense of what Americans are concerned about right now, because things have changed so dramatically over the last eight weeks. And it's gone from like, you know, a, a booming stock market and a low unemployment rate into a crisis that is just all consuming and terrifying as well. And an unemployment rate that is just going to go through the roof. And one of the things, in addition to obviously healthcare and personal safety and jobs 
that, that people are, are now having much stronger feelings about, Leslie, is the need to bring this work back to the United States. And obviously, this is a message that I have been talking about for a very long time. Uh, but um, it's something that I think that this public health crisis demonstrates we have to do. And it's not just about uh, whether or not you believe in capitalism or corporate greed or free trade. This is about our security. And, and this is obviously, in this case, about lives as well. And so it is an imperative uh, that, that we have this conversation, that we change these trade and tax policies and the mindset of these corporations uh, who, who don't seem to think twice about shipping jobs overseas. And so I am hopeful. Again, that out of this, we'll, we'll get a stronger, more resilient system, both a public health system, uh, but also supply chains uh, in the United States. Um, th that is a uh, th that's a far cry from the suffering and everything else that, that people are going to experience through all of this. Uh, but we need to learn our lesson here uh, and, and we, need, we need to learn it uh, urgently uh, so that we don't re repeat uh, this dreadful mistake ever ever again. Excellent. Very well said. We're going to take a quick break on that note, Scott. Uh, Scott Paul is with us, as I said, president of the AAM. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. Also follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. On Instagram, you can follow them at American Manufacturing. On Facebook, follow them at facebook.com forward slash American Manufacturing and their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Check it out now during the break even. We'll be back right after this with Scott, with you, and me. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. We are back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. The president had said that when he came to office, he promised a new day with America's manufacturers. He he portrayed himself as the first president who actually understood their needs. It did well for him in certain states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. He uh, toured factory floors. He often handed out his signature red Make America Great Again hats, many of which were not made here in the United States. But now that we face this first national crisis in his presidency uh, that required harnessing American manufacturing ingenuity, ramping up production of ventilators, this is perhaps the most crucial piece of equipment for patients in crisis we know. Uh, the White House was not able to gather the power of American industry uh, because it basically um, has uh, crumpled under him. They couldn't even communicate how many ventilators it would need, how quickly it would need them. Uh, the president set states off on a scramble to find their own, outbidding each other. We saw uh, price gouging in Texas today uh, with some supplies like ventilators. Uh, these bidding wars against each other, it's unclear where the new American production will be directed uh, to the highest bidders or to the cities that need them most. What would you suggest at this point in time going forward and in preparation for this virus to loop back around as medical professionals say it will come fall or winter before we have that herd um in in, in, in herd in excuse me herd immunity of 70 percent or more who contracted it and survived what would you advise the president to start doing now and do in preparation for uh coronavirus 19 part two yeah, yeah, Leslie, it's it's a good question because I think we do have to look forward and 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 be far more prepared for whatever comes next. The first thing is that he should 
not only just talk about the Defense Production Act, but he sh- he should invoke it uh, and utilize it more. Uh, you know, he it, the the Defense Production Act dates back from the Korean War. It was designed to give the U.S. government um, some authority uh, to tell domestic industry to make certain things if if there was a time of crisis, like particularly for national security, like if we needed to ramp up and make. Uh, tanks or planes or what have you. And this is obviously a national security thing. And so he has invoked it specifically for general motors and for ventilators, uh, but it probably came six weeks too late, right? Because they're, they're going to try to make up for last, lost time. And so it ought to be invoked now. Uh, and it ought to be invoked for a range of products from ventilators to respirators to gowns uh, and, and other equipment that we know that, that we would need uh, uh, testing kits and what have you. Um, There ought to be a national stockpile, obviously, of this that that's developed. Um, And, you know, when I when I and I've talked to a number of folks as well who are, again, these kind of small made in America manufacturers that that sometimes make T-shirts or make other things that, that that virtually all of them now are trying to make masks or other other products. And they feel like the White House has been some of them feel like the White House has been kind of slow to respond about where to send the stuff or where it needs to go. And there just needs to be better coordination there as well. And then the the other conversations, Leslie, are twofold. Number one, we need to, to redevelop the capacity to make the active ingredients for medications in the United States, because we depend a lot for everything from like the ingredients in Motrin to vitamin C to all sorts of prescriptions on active ingredients that come from China. To me, that just seems really, really stupid. So, so that's, that's number one. And number two, more broadly, for these types of critical supplies, we need to think about resilient supply chains. And I think in many cases, that means bringing this work back to the United States. I'm not saying that we need to put up some sort of America first wall, uh, as Donald Trump suggests from time to time. But I think we do need to be much more strategic about it. And we sure as heck need to provide our companies the incentives to uh, to make products here, but also to provide the punishment for when they are shipping jobs abroad. And that's what they don't get right now. They don't get that kind of punishment. And I think Trump, in in many cases, has stopped even like his, his tweets about it. Um, and, and so we, we need a change in policy there. Uh, and so I think that, that I think that's incredibly important uh, for us to do as a nation right now. I think these are all very common sense things that transcend pol- philosophy or political parties that we can rally behind. And again, it's not like an America first, but but we need to possess a capability. Uh, we are the richest, most powerful nation in the world, and we are beggars when it comes to stuff like this. And that just doesn't make any sense at all. I love what you just said with the richest, most powerful nation in the world. And we need to act like it for for crying out loud. I want to read something. The president had tweeted, quote, General Motors must immediately open their stupidly abandoned Lordstown plant in Ohio or some other plant and start making ventilators now. Ford, get going on ventilators fast. Your reply on Twitter, if at real Donald Trump, had actually invoked the DPA a month ago, none of this would be an issue. Don't blame the workers and companies large and small that are filling massive gaps left by your lack of leadership. Uh, again, yeah. missed missed to the mark with DPA and kind of still is missing the mark. Even though he's invoked it, he's kind of only invoked it and directed it 
uh, with one company at this point, at least right. what I've seen. Right. Um, Scott, yeah, I want right. Yeah, I want it. And I'm glad that you spoke uh, regarding the Defense Production Act. Uh, read my mind. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, anything else on that before I ask you some questions uh, not uh, with uh, regard uh, to that act? Yeah, I just look, I just think, I mean, you have it and it's not like there's laws. It's not like the situation where, oh, this law sitting around. Someone should use it. No, you use it in a crisis. And this is a crisis. And this is a national security crisis where there are a lot of lives at risk here. And our public health system is, is in danger of collapsing in many places. And so this is when you use it. I mean, you don't keep it in your pocket or you don't let the Chamber of Commerce talk you out of it because they don't they don't like the terms that it sets or whatever. By God, this is when you use it. And so that's the thing that's so frustrating. It's like you have this. He, he's been totally willing to use other authorities that he that he's had as president. But but he hesitated on doing this for six weeks because he didn't want to tell businesses what to do. And I'm like, this is the time you got to do it. You got to leave. Um, I, uh, let's talk about your take on how Americans have responded to the COVID-19 uh, crisis. I loved your tweet on March 26th where you said, quote, the administration's slow response to this crisis is, is inexcusable. But many workers and businesses have stepped up, retooled, bootstrapped, improvised, and are working hard. Not only is it inspiring, it's also potentially life-saving. Thank you for the work you were doing. Heartfelt, Scott. Honest. I agree with you 100%. You want to add to that tweet? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I have had the opportunity to speak with a, a number of these uh, small manufacturers. Like there's a guy in Buffalo. I know you both know Buffalo. They, they make these old old fashioned felt pennants, uh, all American made. Um, you know, he, he put a store in downtown Buffalo. It's called Oxford Pennant. And um, they're just trying to get by. And he's like, I just want to pitch in and also help out in any way I can. And that's and an example. We and that's match, an, we're going to do it. Yeah. That's the example of the American spirit and, and the strength of this nation that you spoke of.